0: Welcome to What Catholics Believe. Today I'd like to refer to some of the emails we've received. It's been quite a while since we've addressed the emails, and I apologize for that. Uh, Sometimes the emails come in, the messages uh, are rather involved, and uh, would take a month of research to answer properly. Uh, But I hope uh, you'll be content with just kind of off-the-cuff answers, uh, trying to be... uh, Uh, orthodox in in the answers. Uh, If uh, there is anything that seems unorthodox, please be sure and let me know. But uh, I'll try to respond as I can to some of the emails that have come in. Uh, One of the emails uh, reads as follows. Every year it comes up as to whether we can eat meat, leftovers on the Friday after Thanksgiving. Someone posted this article on the Facebook SSPV group. I think it would be good if you could make a video on this subject, clear it up, because it seems we get different answers from our priests. Well, actually, I haven't, uh, I haven't looked at this video. Uh, this is the first time reading this email. But uh, my understanding is, the best information I have is this, that uh, it was traditional in certain dioceses in the United States of America to exempt from the Friday abstinence on the Friday after Thanksgiving. Uh, For rather obvious reasons, back in former times, it was difficult to refrigerate uh, foods that would spoil, including meat. And so uh, it was permitted to go ahead and uh, basically finish up the Thanksgiving dinner the next day. There were dioceses that did, in fact, uh, I understand, year by year, give the permission to eat meat on the Friday after Thanksgiving. Um, and so what I have been telling people in any case is that if if in their particular diocese in which they live, traditionally it was acceptable, uh, permission was given uh, legitimately by the ordinary, the uh, Episcopal ordinary of the diocese to be um, exempt from the from the abstinence on the Friday after Thanksgiving, that they could legitimately do so. Uh, so, uh, having said that, though, I would encourage them uh, to observe the abstinence anyway. Uh, if there's ever a time when we needed penance in the world, it is now. And the little bit of penance that we're asked to do amounts to basically a mere inconvenience. So... Uh, there are always uh, means of preserving nowadays the, f- the leftovers of Thanksgiving until Saturday. And so uh, why not simply offer it up and uh, go ahead and abstain from meat on the Friday after Thanksgiving, even if it would be legitimate to e- eat the meat anyway, uh, according to the traditional practice before Vatican II came in. Uh, you know, people talk about how bad the times are, and how serious the dangers are, they're threatening us. And yet when it comes to uh, looking for any excuse to uh, avoid a, a penance of any kind, uh, people seem to be all on board with that. And uh, I think it's a mistake to be too ready to simply depart from the Church's traditional practices, even if there are precedents for it. In your diocese, so uh, if you're at a diocese that uh, would customarily exempt from the abstinence on the Friday after Thanksgiving, then I think you have certainly just reason for going ahead and eating the meat on on the Friday after Thanksgiving. But I personally would say uh, it would be very commendable for you to offer that little sacrifice up and abstaining, continue to abstain strain on that Friday, even the Friday after Thanksgiving. Now, here is, uh, here is another email that came in uh, November 22nd, actually. Uh, Hello, my name is, I'm not going to mention names of writers here. I live in Penzance, Cornwall, England. I wanted to say thank you for your catechism lessons on YouTube. Great idea. I hope you'll be making more YouTube videos using other Catholic books, and especially the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Dogmatically, liturgically, and ascetically, explained by Nicholas Gere. Certainly it would be a worthwhile thing to go through the chapters of Father Gere's book on the Holy Sacrifice. And so that, it's a very good suggestion. I take the Seti of the position, and have done so since 2010. I will be using their lessons to help people learn the true faith. I presume uh, it's a typo here. I will be using these lessons to help people learn the true faith. Well, I appreciate that very much. Uh, Having a a writer contact us all the way from Cornwall, England, it's it's very nice to hear from you. And uh, I appreciate the word of encouragement. Uh, It takes quite a bit of time to make the videos on the catechism. Obviously much more time could be devoted <clears throat> in preparation. You can tell from the rather off the cup discussions that uh, take place during those videos that uh, they do not involve an enormous amount of preparation research, and I thank you for your patience with that. But it is not only my time, but it's a time of our production people who are very, uh, very patient um, recording it seems to be all hours of the day and especially the night and getting them on the on the uh, on the internet practic- practically overnight and I thank them very much for their kindness and their diligence in this regard so I'll pass your thanks on to them and uh, I'll be looking for my copy of uh, Nicholas Gere, uh on the Mass and uh I'll take you up on that suggestion at sometime in the future. Now here's a, uh, a message that came in November 3rd. I just watched again your video about the election, this second viewing after the election. <clears throat> well, I must say you are truly <coughs> a stalwart individual to watch that a second time. Actually it turned out, I think there were four videos, <coughs> a couple of them somewhat lengthy about the election. And <clears throat> if you actually manage to watch the whole thing, the, the first one all the way through, then you are truly intrepid. And if you watched it a second time, <coughs> then I must say you're truly penitential, and I thank you for that. I think the evil of Satanism has been advancing in USA for many decades. I think there is a very strong Jewish Talmudic Kabbalistic judeo Freemasonry connection to this destruction of the people and the country. <coughs> Excuse me. Sad to say, this evil has advanced within the Catholic Church, and this began when the Church started banking with the Jewish evil Rothschild's banking cabal. And that was in the early 1500s. Vatican II was another major step downward for the Church, but really the Church and its top hierarchy and clerics began centuries before. <coughs> Excuse me. Had a bit of a cold lately, and I think it's uh, back to uh, bite me here. What was averted by the election of Trump was the total takedown and collapse of our country. And all the elected representatives and officials in Washington, D.C., elected is in quotes here, and really all the top hierarchy in all of the individual states. It is a bribery, extortion, blackmail grid that holds each person in its grip. This same dynamic operates in the church hierarchy as well. It is basically satanic evil, but there is a pervasive, constant, major connection to Judeo-Freemasonry and Illuminati. The priests I've been listening to and learning from over the last year or two, such as you and a couple of other priests, will talk much about modernism, talk a moderate amount about Freemasonry and a little about Satanism. But no one ever talks about the Jewish Talmudic Kabbalism connection. And it is from that connection that modernism comes. Here is a video I watched today that explains in more painful detail what satanic evil and Hillary Clinton and the U.S. Department of Justice. P.S. Trump promised to investigate and send to jail the Clintons and the Podestas, but now he says he will not do that, and he just wants healing for them. Well, as a matter of fact, uh, with regard to um, Trump's um, retreat from his position, that, uh, his constant threats, in fact, uh, that he was going to investigate, indict, prosecute, and jail Hillary Clinton, uh, now he's saying uh, that he does not intend to do so. <clears throat> there are some who suggest that Perhaps he's taking us off their line right now until the inauguration to try to pacify the, uh, the fury of the leftists uh, until he's actually uh, inaugurated as president and has the power of the pres- presidency now then to pursue, pursue the promises that he made. And they were promises, and people did believe him, and that's why they voted for him, because they actually believed him. If he backtracks on those promises that he made, then they will no longer believe him and they will feel betrayed by another uh, crass poli- and cynical politician. That's my own comment on that. Um, <clears throat> what what Trump is actually saying about this right now uh, is that um, he's now switching from campaign mode to uh, governing mode, as I recall. Uh, well, um, this is what a politician says: um, that during the during the campaign, I can say anything I want. It doesn't bind me when I actually take office. That I can uh, during the campaign I can say anything I want. I can promise anything I want during the, uh, when I'm in office. I can do anything I want. And uh, that politician uh, politicianitis is what he's expressing here now. If he really means this, then a lot of people will be thinking, well, we've been betrayed again. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, <clears throat> there are people who would like to prosecute Hillary Clinton out of, oh, I don't know, a certain res- resentfulness and even a certain vengefulness. There are many who want her prosecuted because they believe she's guilty of crimes and it cannot be allowed to pass. That a person in office can do the things that she did with impunity. that They feel it's it's, it's absolutely necessary, a matter of justice, <clears throat> and uh, things will not be right with the country as long as she or anyone else can get away with these these things, um, these criminal activities. They see, but um, in any case, with regard to the the body of your of your text here. Uh, yes, there is a. That's definitely the Judeo Freemasonic connection, and uh, that is definitely behind this. Um, there's no doubt about it. This has been going on for hundreds of years. There are those who trace them back to the Sassanians, <clears throat> the Sassanian society, which rejected the Blessed Trinity even back in the during the Middle Ages. Uh, and the, Kabbal, the Kabbalah has definitely been very much at the root of this uh, <clears throat> this uh, whole effort. In fact, we find uh, the Gnostic Kabbalah uh, very much in evidence these days. Some of our celebrities have embraced it. Um, the, the, the Kabbalah has embraced them. It seems to fit in very well with their 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 very selfish self-centered worldview. In fact, uh, Scientology uh, fits right in with that, doesn't it? Uh, maybe as a competitor, uh, uh, rather than uh, rather than in opposition. Although uh, there is a great deal of political opposition to Scientology, it might not be because. Um, <clears throat> there's opposition to the message of Scientology so much as there is a power struggle there, or uh, a seeming perception of a threat. But in any case, uh, all of this goes back to the Gnostic idea that the, the human race is God, but especially the Jewish people, the chosen, who are the chosen people um, of God, have a special place. Now, of course, when Hitler talks about the Aryan race as being the master race, this is absolutely uh, horrific and to be condemned, absolutely. But nonetheless, uh, if you read the Zohar and you, uh, uh, the Book of Light of uh, the Kabbal, the Kabbalah, and you study the Kabbalah, there's no, du- no doubt that there is a master race that thinks it is destined to, to rule the world. <coughs> Um, this should not be a surprise to anyone. It was uh, the issue when our Lord was in the world. Uh, why were the Romans so sensitive to our Lord uh, gathering a following, and being called rabbi and master, uh, lawgiver, <clears throat> because they, their power had been challenged by Um, so-called saviors uh, who were supposed to lead the uh, Hebrew, the Jewish people, uh, out of their captivity, uh, not only out of Egypt, as it happened 1,400 years before our Lord came into the world, but now out of Roman domination, and lead them, in fact, into a position of domination of the world. There, are, there were sects of Jews that believed that then, there are certainly sects of Jews who believe that now, that their savior, their messiah is going to come into the world and lead them to uh, actual world domination. We shouldn't be surprised to find the same mentality in the Muslims, that they believe their Mahdi is going to do that for them, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty continual theme throughout history. <clears throat> Uh, of embracing some kind of warlord uh, belief in a coming warlord who is going to subjugate all the other peoples of the world and uh, elevate your people to their rightful place as the masters of the world well this is a very very uh, vital part of the Kabbalistic Judaism and uh, Judeo Freemasonry is the embodiment of that. Um, curiously enough, uh, Rothschild, the banking, the banking cabal as you write here, uh, it's pronounced R- Rothschild, unfortunately, in English, but Rothschild, Rothschild, uh, the Red Shield is the, uh, the family name, actually. And uh, yes, they've been at it for a long, long, long time. And extending the tentacles of their uh, of economic control deeper and deeper into society, uh, there was a great deal of <coughs> controversy. Excuse me about uh, about the Federal Reserve having the Federal Reserve system in the United States of America. Curiously enough, the Federal Reserve was brought in uh, to play about the same time roughly at the same time as uh, the country was rejecting membership in the League of Nations. The Federal Reserve was uh, brought into power in our country, a central bank governed by individuals um, who seek actually their own profit, their own welfare, and their own agenda. to which the treasury of the estates States and all of the people of the estates States are subject, actually. Financially subject. We have to go hand in hand to borrow money from them. Um, this is how they, gather, they take their control. Um, uh, the story is that if you want to make a society socialist, uh, run it into debt. And The deeper into debt it goes, the more the socialists had their grip over that country. But in any case, uh, 1913, the Federal Reserve, and after the First World War ended, 1918, then the prospect of the League of Nations membership was before us, and yet our uh, legislature rejected that as being contrary to the sovereignty of the United States of America. But just a few years before, as I say, just before World War I, they approved, surrendering our financial system to the Federal Reserve, Central Bank. So with that, our country was very much betrayed into a kind of financial slavery. And uh, the Rothschilds certainly had a part to play in this. I'm dead about it. So I agree with you. I agree with your point here, and I'll, I'll take a look at the sites that you recommend here. In fact, you, you give quite a few of them here, I don't know if I can, I'll take a look at, look for all of them, but uh, yeah, your main point there is certainly well taken. Uh, you might actually um, consult a uh, website uh, that does get into that a bit. Uh, uh, I can't actually give you the, the URL, but I will just tell you the. Uh, if you look up just or call me Jorge, C A L L M E J O R G E, I think you'll see that uh, there is uh, a voice of this online. I don't know if it's one of those you recommend here, but you might add that to your list. Uh, here's a, a message. Uh, concerning Francis, could you please compose a video and response to the latest Rarate Celi website post where Francis talks and answers questions about traditional Catholics and the reform of the Reform? The link to the article is, and then we're given a, the Rarate uh, blogspot.com website. And uh, the particular article that he's talking about is mentioned here. Uh, Also, uh, uh, attached to this is a page uh, of the book uh, by Papa Francesco. It says here, uh, Ne tuoi occhi della mia parola, uh, parola, excuse me, Uh, The Homilies and Discourses of Buenos Aires, Aires, 1999. 2013. I'm having a little hard, little hard time reading this because I can't see it very well, but it's in Italian. Con una conversazione con Antonio Spadaro. So anyway, that's interesting. I guess that is referenced on the Boracay Shelley website. And let's see, what do we have here? Together with this uh, request, we have. <coughs> In interview, Pope Francis questions traditional Catholics and their motives. He ends the reform of the reform for good. The excerpt is translated by Rodmarte from the interview published in the past few days in Italy. The interview was conducted by the editor of the official journal of the Holy See, Civiltà Cattolica. It says, Father Antonio Spadaro, Jesuit, as part of a book containing homilies of the Pope when he was Archbishop of Buenos Aires. The simplicity of children makes me also think of adults. Okay, so these are the translated words of Francis. The simplicity of children makes me also think of adults. With a right that is direct, right R-I-T-E, that is direct, participated intensely, translators note, reference to notion of actuosa, participatio, active participation, is how they usually translate that, of parish masses experienced with so much piety. What comes to mind are proposals that encourage priests to turn their backs to the faithful, to rethink Vatican II, to use Latin. (coughs) I ask the Pope what he thinks of this. Oh, no, this is the interviewer, okay. (coughs) Okay. So this must be Father Spadaro, the Jesuit, asking Francis this question. He's thinking of parish masses that are experienced with great piety and uh, actu- active participation. I guess he's describing the Novus Ordo. And um, then he says, "Then, on the other hand, we have proposals to uh, have priests turn their backs to the faithful. Rethink Vatican II and use Latin, he says. So I'm asking Francis about these ideas, these proposals. And this is what Francis says. But Benedict accomplished a just and magnanimous gesture. He's referring to Benedict's motu proprio sumorum pontificum to reach out to a certain mindset of some groups and persons who felt nostalgia and were distancing themselves. But it is an exception. That is why one speaks of an extraordinary rite. The ordinary in the Church is not this. It is necessary to approach with magnanimity those attached to a certain form of prayer. But the ordinary is not this. Vatican II and Sacro Sanctum Concilium must go on as they are. To speak of a reform of the reform is an error. What is Francis saying here? <clears throat> well, he's saying that he's basically indulging those who want the, quote-unquote, extraordinary form. That's the Latin rite. Um, the 1962 version is what they've approved here. The 1962 version meeting the Latin mass with the changes of John XXIII uh, right up to his death. Um, so until Paul VI, just before Paul VI took over, the Nova Ordo. So he's saying this uh, 1962 Latin rite is an exception. He says it is not the norm, and it is not ordinary. He says the official, ordinary liturgy of the his church, the Nova Ordo, is the, uh, the Novus Ordo um, <clears throat> the new form of Paul Sixth, and uh, so he says this must go on Vatican II and Sacro Sanctum Concilium must go on and he says the idea of some that they can reform the Novus Ordo to uh, fix the problems with it, he says, is an error and as a matter of fact, this is the first time I actually agree with Francis about just about anything. I agree with him. The reform of a reform is error. I mean, it would be like saying, let's fix the, the Anglican Common book, a book of Common Prayer to make it Catholic. Or let's fix the Anglican Liturgy to make it Catholic. Uh, well, if you want a Catholic rite, why don't you just take the Catholic rite, the traditional Mass, Why are we reforming a reform that we recognize is so defective, so deficient, that it needs to be reformed? Why pick a a Novus Ordo Rite that is so deformed that it has to be reformed? Um, If you want traditional Catholicism, real Catholicism, go back to the traditional Mass and the traditional Catechism, uh, and so on. The idea of a reform of the reform is absurd. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, I agree with Francis, but obviously not for the same reasons. Um, Then Spadaro says, I ask him, Other than those who are sincere and ask for this possibility out of habit or devotion, can this desire express something else? Are there dangers? So uh, Reverend Spadaro asks Francis, Are there dangers in wanting to hold to the traditional Mass? And this is what Francis says. I ask myself about this, for example, I always try to understand what is behind those individuals who are too young to have lived the pre-conciliar liturgy, and who want it nonetheless. I have at times found myself in front of people who are too rigid, an attitude of rigidity. And I ask myself, how come so much rigidity? You dig? You dig? This rigidity always hides something. Insecurity. At times, perhaps, something else. The rigidity is defensive. True love is not rigid. Okay. So, you see, Francis basically um, wants to psychoanalyze people, okay? Uh, The man who always talks about mercy and forgiveness and is willing just to overlook... So many evils, especially especially uh, uh, impure evils. When it comes to the traditional, <coughs> the traditional Mass, he is very unforgiving about that, very suspicious of anyone who wants it, is willing to read into their minds and souls a lack of charity because they're so rigid, they can't be charitable can't really be charity, in this man there's something wrong with him he says you dig you dig who's digging Francis is digging he's digging and digging and digging and trying to figure out what's wrong with these people you want the traditional mass because it is so rigid okay now if there's anything about Francis he is definitely not rigid okay uh, you think of being rigid sort of like the rod of Moses and then when Moses throws the rod on the ground, it turns into a snake, it's not rigid anymore. Francis is not rigid, he's more like the serpent on the ground there. Uh, The staff is rigid, okay? That will support something, that will help support your faith. The serpent, not so much so. So uh, Francis resembles more the serpent than he does the staff, there's no doubt about that. So we will say he is definitely not rigid. Except in one thing, he's rigid about being non-rigid. He's rigid about being serpentine. And when I talk about being serpentine, I mean like a serpent. <coughs> now he's not as wise as the serpent he's actually as he's actually uh, um, as devious as the serpent. Why am I saying this? Well, four of his cardinals have written to him asking for him to uh, clarify his meaning with his amoris Letitia the the uh, modu, the. Uh, uh, an apostolic exhortation he wrote. Okay, uh, he very clearly has indicated that <coughs> the path is open for those living in open adultery to go to receive their novus ordo Eucharist, the wafer, in their liturgies. And so these uh, these cardinals have have resisted this. It, it's amazing to me that they have, <coughs> because after all. They've gone along with so many other evil things. In the Novus Soto, I ask myself, why are they suddenly resisting this? I don't know. I hope it's responding to a grace that God is giving them, a first grace that will enable them to retrace their steps back away from the Novus entirely. But in any case, <coughs> Francis' reaction to these is very telling. He's angry, he's angry that they want a clarification. And again again he's he's condemning that as being rigid. He's condemning the fact that they want him to speak clearly as rigidity. Francis wants the ambiguity. He wants he's deliberately unclear in what he says. Uh deliberately uh unclear because he's very deceptive. He's a deceitful man. This is how the devil does things. He's very Intentionally ambiguous, very oily, very serpentine, he doesn't want to be pinned down, he't have to, he doesn't want to be required to give a straight answer you know uh, like evasive like a politician uh, or evasive like uh, someone on the stand who has something to hide and is being questioned even under oath. Um, this is Francis he gets angry when he is, uh, when he's being pressed. To uh, speak clearly, that to him is rigidity, and that's what he resents about the traditional mass. It's too clear, it's too clear, it's not ambiguous enough. It's not, it's not uh, serpentine enough. It's not oily. I would say greasy enough, as it were. Uh, he wants a dirty church, and that's what he's got. And he's got wants a dirty liturgy too. He wants uh, a dirty sacraments. He wants these things that are very compromised. He doesn't want anything that is clear, because Francis doesn't really believe in truth. So, anyway, it's not surprising to find the pattern in Francis' way of handling of these things. And you, you begin to see, uh, as the pattern emerges, and is handling any time... He's being pressed to speak clearly about anything. He gets angry. Even becomes menacing. And that is exactly his attitude to the traditional Catholic faith because of its clarity. He hates clarity because clarity involves immutable truth. Francis doesn't believe in immutable truth, it's too rigid. Francis is an existentialist. Okay? He makes it up as he goes along. He continues, uh, well actually no, this is Bonaro again. I insist, what about tradition? Some understand it in a rigid way. But well, Francis has already said, the tradition of the Catholic Church is change. So that is the tradition of the Church. Change. Basically, the tradition of the Church is not to have any tradition at all. Things are constantly changing, and you're leaving behind the things we did before. Well, of course, that's uh, Darwinistic evolution that he's thinking about. Fits in very well with an existentialist who doesn't really believe in objective truth. <clears throat> then here's what Francis says. But no, tradition blooms, he responds. <clears throat> there is a traditionalism that is a rigid fundamentalism. It is not good. Faithfulness instead implies a growth. Tradition in the transmission from one age to the next of the deposit of faith grows and consolidates with the passage of time. As St. Vincent of Lorraine said in his Comedatorium Primum, I read it always in my breviary. etiam Christiani religionis dogma sequatur hast deicet profectuum sulimator etate, now I doubt that Francis is just sort of sp- uh, making this uh <clears throat> statement off the cuff here seems strange <clears throat> it's translated here as also the dogma of the Christian religion must follow these laws it progresses, consolidating with the years developing with time deepening with the age okay but you have to understand again you know you have to you have to understand Francis and his own terms here. Um, you see, when you have truth, it has to be consistent with himself. But <clears throat> consistency is not uh, something that is synonymous with, uh, with Francis. It's not something synonymous with Francis's belief system. Francis believes that um, the understanding of the faith has to change and progress, that's what he calls progress, because it's evolving out of itself. And we leave behind old forms and we adopt new forms here. Um, if you read his interpretation of, of things, uh, especially truths of the faith that the, the Church has believed, sometimes even defined dogma of the faith, <clears throat> his interpretation is very unrigid, very serpentine, very unclear, because a lack of clarity, you see, is necessary uh, to allow for uh, evolution and change. Um, He would call it, again, growth. Remember now, the modernists and the leftists have in common the basic principles. Their whole worldview essentially is the same. And they both agree that... Everything should be living. The the church, her faith, must be living. (coughs) By that, the modernists mean that it must be constantly evolving and changing. That's what they call, it's basically developing. Okay. And uh, for the leftists, the Constitution of the United States of America must be a living document. That means they can change it. It must be constantly evolving and changing, according both of them, the modernists and the leftists, to fit the modern view of reality. This is how faith and this is how law must change to fit the modern view of what reality is or should be. And so in the the evolutionist point of view, this is uh, classical Darwinism and neo-Darwinism, Species basically die out, but they, they tend to uh, 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 mutate into other species. And so it is with faith. Faith has to uh, undergo these muta- mutations as people's experience of God changes. And those who want to hold on to the old forms are rigid, and they will die. Their fate dies just like the old species die out because they can't adapt to the circumstances of the modern times, of the environment as it is now. And so uh, Francis definitely is a modernist. (coughs) Excuse me. He definitely adheres to these ideas. He's definitely a leftist in politics. Um, So he he uh, He certainly has this this concept of evolution and development and and vitalism. And uh, so you have to read what he says with that in mind. You have to interpret what he's saying, because he uses the same words, but he defines those words very differently than we do as traditional Catholics, than the traditional Catholic Church has defined them definitively. Francis gives all these terms, new definitions, straight out of the modernist dictionary. Now, uh, here's one. Dear Father, are we as traditional Catholics allowed or forbidden to consult the commentaries contained in the Traditio website? I have heard in the past that the fathers who respond to inquiries actually are not traditional Catholic priests. Please advise. <clears throat> well, as a matter of fact, I understand that the uh, clergymen who operate Tradizio, uh, the website Tradizio, actually are not Catholic priests, that they were uh, ordained systematically. I've had no personal contact with them. And uh, right now I couldn't, well, Father Morrison I know is one. I don't know who the other is. There's another well, another clergyman who works with him. But I understand they were never ordained uh, within the Catholic Church, so uh, one has to read that uh, with a grain of salt. <coughs> uh, every now and then I am directed to an entry on the Traditio website. I found that there is a lot of good information on the Traditio website, and I think one could read it. I, I, when one asks are we forbidden to or are we allowed to look at it, I'd say it's not in the index of forbidden websites. So. I think you you could legitimately look at it, and I think you could uh, get some good information. But you have to be careful. If you see something on there that doesn't look quite right, you should talk to your real traditional priest and ask him to take a look at it for you. Dear Father Jenkins, tonight your video on our post-election situation just happened to pop up as I was looking for the news of the day. What a joy to hear someone speak the truth. I concur with all that you have said, Your analysis is right on. Thank you. We must pray the... Well, uh, I'll say, you're welcome, certainly, and I'm I'm glad you agree. Um, And any time you don't agree, I'd like to know what the disagreement is. uh, And we'll discuss that too, but I appreciate your words of encouragement. We must pray the rosary so very continuously for the Trump-Pence team, as well as for our country. We must also pray that the full third secret of Fatima be released, finally, and that the collegial public consecration of Russia, by name, as Our Lady has requested, be accomplished. Nothing is really going to change until our Lee is obeyed. <clears throat> I have the sense that President Trump's election may have bought us some time, but the real problem in the world is that the salt has lost its saltiness, due to the loss of the traditional Catholic faith in the errors of Vatican II. The Catholic Church has now not only collapsed into the cultural Marxism of our times, but in many respects, under Francis, is leading the way. Thank you for having the courage to speak the truth. Immaculate Heart of Mary, be our way back to your Divine Son. Well, uh, we certainly ask Our Lady indeed to uh, hold us very close to her Immaculate Heart there, and uh, to keep us close to her Divine Son. No doubt about it. <clears throat> I agree totally. We have to pray the Rosary uh, Actually, there are those who seem to have relaxed now that Hillary was not elected. Uh, God forbid that she should be named as president by the Electoral College because of the pressures being brought to bear on them. Uh, At the moment, I don't expect it, but I I think the leftists have no... uh, have a a, a kind of a, a bottomless bag of tricks, so... Who knows what they have up their sleeves to uh, still get their way in all of this. Uh, Donald Trump and Michael Pence have not been uh, inaugurated yet. Um, So there's many uh, a slip between cup and lip, as they say, especially when the leftists are pouring the libation for you, the hemlock for you to drink. But in any case, you mentioned the third secret of Fatima, I agree, the third secret of Fatima has not been revealed. That's a fraud that we've been given by the modernists. Um, But um, asking for the collegial public consecration of Russia by name, uh, well, I would agree with that, but for the fact that I see the problem, uh, we have Francis, who is the Pope of the Novus Ordo. He's the Pope of a new order. There are those who object and say that how can one be the Pope of a new order religion, and Pope of the Catholic Church at the same time. How can one represent Belial? You mentioned leading the way of the Marxist Cultural Revolution. And I agree. The Nova Ordo was leading the way. How can one be leading the way there and be the victor of Christ on earth? Serious questions. There are those who don't want those questions asked. There are those who would anathematize even those who ask those questions. But they're very foolish. They're simply not interested in the truth at all. Um, my, my question, well, one of them is, and no one has ever actually even endeavored to respond to this, and I don't understand why. Um, but anyway, I've asked the question, how can someone like Francis, who doesn't even believe in the papacy, he doesn't even believe in the papacy, <clears throat> What he believes about the papacy is not the Roman Catholic papacy. So, not only does he not believe in the existence of the papacy as the Catholic Church has dogmatically defined it, Francis has a contrary understanding of the papacy. How can a man like that actively accept, formally accept the office? Ne- and with a formal acceptance necessary to actually become the Pope. Not only does he not believe in it, he rejects the Catholic idea of the papacy. He's not accepting that. And he's, he's accepting, he's adopting, he's actually ex- embracing a concept of the papacy that the Church finds abhorrent to our faith. Contrary to faith. So how can a man like Francis, or anyone I mean, uh, who has such a, uh, a concept of the papacy, contrary to the Catholic teaching, actually make the formal acceptance necessary to become the Pope? I don't know. I don't know. When I ask the question, uh, nobody seems to be even interested in addressing it. I guess it doesn't bother them, and I guess it doesn't bother them that it bothers me. But I think it's a serious question. I just don't see how it's possible myself. Uh, but I don't think it's bad to pose the question. Like I can say It's necessary to pose these questions. Today. But when you say that not only, I mean, do you have to have a pope, but you also have to have the College of Cardinals and the Bishops as a body joining him, in consecrating Russia to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, to fulfill Our Lady's request in 1929, when Lucia actually voiced this to Pius XI. Um, And where are you going to find these people? The modern bishops? Do you really, really think? Obviously, it would be a a tremendous stroke of grace. But the question is, do, they, do these people even have the Catholic faith anymore? Many of them. Um, most of them. So, there are serious questions about this. Um, after Pope Pius XII consecrated the world to Mary's Immaculate Heart in 1942, October, and repeated the consecration on December 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception in 1942, Lucia commented that it was not the consecration that Our Lady had asked for. But God was pleased with it. And the only reason he could have been pleased with it, as far as I'm concerned, is because it must have taken a certain amount of courage for Pope Pius XII to do it. Because obviously there was some horrendous opposition to this consecration being done. If there weren't opposition to it, and a very hellish opposition to it, Pius XI certainly would have done it. If Pius XI didn't do it in 1929, or any time before his death, it was because he couldn't do it. There's no doubt in my mind, Pius XI couldn't do it for some reason. I don't know what it was. I Presume it was because of the modernists in the Episcopacy who were resolutely opposing this collegial consecration. But that's my own speculation or uh, interpretation of the events. Uh, but it must have taken Pope Pius XII a great risk and courage to make that consecration of the world even mentioning Russia only obliquely, not by name. It took a world war, the war that Our Lady predicted in 1917 to the children. It took that war to move Pius XII to make that consecration. Ten years later in July, it was July 7, 1952, Pope Pius XII did consecrate Russia to the Immaculate Heart by, by name. He consecrated Russia in an apostolic letter. But it uh, actually takes up six or seven pages uh, of Latin in the, um, in the Octavistotio Sedis of that year. And Pope Isa XII makes a very, very clear consecration of Russia and all the peoples of Russia in a most special way to the Immaculate Heart of Mary for the sake of obtaining peace in the world. But again, this was not done with the bishops of the world. Not explicitly, anyway. You might say that what the Pope does, of course he's doing it with the implicit involvement of all the bishops of the world, but there was not the explicit voice of all the bishops joining with Pope Pius XII in this consecration in 1952. It's interesting to note, though, that after the these two Consecrations of the world in 42 and of Russia in 52, Lucia spoke out and said that now what is required is that every one of us consecrate ourselves to Mary's Immaculate Heart. If you look at what uh, Lucia actually said, Our Lady said at Fatima, though, you'll find this, that Our Lady said that the Holy Father would have to consecrate Russia to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart. Then she said, the Holy Father would consecrate Russia to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart, but it would be late. She said, Russia will be converted, she said, and there will be peace, a time of peace given to the world. So Our Lady did predict that Russia would be converted. There are those who actually foolishly say that Russia has already been converted. Um, This, to me, is utter nonsense. I can't see the evidence of that at all. So, um, but Mary, the Blessed Mother, did predict that Russia would be converted. And uh, so I, I agree with your bottom line here, the premise that uh, until that happens, Russia is still fomenting error and destruction throughout the world. Uh, we have to pray for this, the nose. Now here's another note, and I'll probably have to end with this, I'm sorry uh you may not be sorry but i'm sorry dear father jenkins i appreciate your commentary about the election it was very educational too the most important part of all your messages is when you ask us to pray that is where our power is power not as the world gives it what makes me so sad is that i do not see the clintons and the top democrats being convicted of crime and spending the rest of their lives in prison as they all should The kinds of wrongdoing they perpetrated to the maximum has been standard operating procedure for both party operatives throughout 75 years. We have been involved in multiple unjust wars and multiple false flag terrorist events and they all just go along with the official stories. The international bankers are the neocons and they control the USA and most of the countries of the world that we are busy slaughtering at the present time. The bankers are the instigators of all the color revolutions and unjust wars and the mass murder of our soldiers and the innocent civilians in other countries. We are about to have a severe depression and dollar collapse in the USA, as well as worldwide. That is the perfect environment for the bankers and those they own to take over complete world domination and give the world and the population left in it, after their despotism, a one-world death and slavery system for all. We should not look upon Donald Trump as our hope and our savior. Yes, he is what we have and we should pray for him as you say. The economic collapse is going to happen anyway and very soon no matter if Trump performs wisely and well. Now is the time for Catholics to be not conformed to this world system. We should pray deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. We are, uh, and she doesn't mean follow Trump, she says follow him with a capital H, follow our Lord. We are in for some extremely hard times, and many more innocent people will die. God bless you in the name of the one who is truth and uh, so it is so I, I agree I agree completely with this dear lady and um, and I, I expressed to her also my concern, uh, something I started mentioning a minute ago is that it seems that after Trump was got the, the number of electoral votes. The Electoral co- electoral College is right now. hasn't voted yet, actually. <clears throat> um, so in a sense, Trump hasn't even been, quote-unquote, elected yet by the members of the Electoral College, let alone inaugurated. <clears throat> um, so people seem to be relaxing now a bit, thinking, oh, we dodged the bullet. I think it was uh, Dinesh D'Souza said, we dodged the bullet. That bullet is still whizzing around everywhere. We've got to keep dodging that bullet. But the problem is this: God, in His great mercy, has shown to us that He hears prayers. He's hearing our prayers right now. He's hearing the outpouring of prayer that went that preceded the election. Now that we've seen that God is actually hearing our prayer, this is not the time to stop praying. This should convince us God is actually hearing our prayer. Our prayer is acceptable to him. That should make us redouble our prayers. That should encourage us to pray more, not less. If we misread this and we start slacking off in our prayers because we've seen that God is indeed listening to our prayers as if he ever doesn't listen, he does. Sometimes it's manifested to us that he's listening and listening very attentively, um, if we gather from that that now's the time to stop praying, we're doomed. We're doomed. We'll, we'll, we'll mess it all up again, and it will be worse. Then the devil will return with seven devils worse than himself and move right in and take right over. You can't let that happen. You've got to pray. I agree with you totally. You have to pray and pray and pray. And that's the only pray more. I say pray more intensely. Pray more attentively. If we just offered the same prayers, but we, we offered them with greater devotion, greater attentiveness, because that is prayer, right? To turn your mind and your heart to God, turn your attention, your thoughts to God, and your affection to God. If we gave God more of our attention, not just sharing it with th- and being distracted, but praying more intentively, attentively, and devoutly how much more we could accomplish <clears throat> in cooperating with God's will and appealing to God's power. This is what we need to do. Uh, well, perhaps uh, at least one more. I'm sorry. If I'm uh, keeping you but you can always tune in Again, to resume, you made a great video on the results of the election and covered a few points that all too many people are not aware of, and specifically the Electoral College votes that will be coming up on December 19th and what the Marxist anarchists are trying to pull off. A Christian patriot friend first brought this up last week and is in panic mode over the very possibility that you mentioned, that of of sabotaging the electors and pushing the votes to Hillary Clinton. So to coin a phrase, it ain't over till it's over. One question I would love answered is, what is your opinion on Vladimir Putin? Do you, and all your up-to-date observations, well, not sure about that, that, feel he is someone to be trusted in view of his past KGB background? He has apparently made many visits to the Russian Orthodox Church, and apparently, perhaps for the cameras, is a Christian of sorts. He apparently wants the Rothschild banks out of Russia, or so I've heard and read, Jared, uh, I won't won't mention that name again, seems to think, too, that he is a good guy, so it would be interesting to hear your take on him. Well, I'll try to be be uncharacteristically brief about this. I do not trust Vladimir Putin. I mean, the man was the head of the Stasi, the East German secret police. You cannot be a very nice person and be the head of the Stasi. You can't even get into that position if you're an honest person. And very, very deceitful, and uh, very uh, almost cynically deceitful. Um, uh, Putin seems to specialize in one upmanships one-upmanship, one-upmanship, and audacity. I'm sorry, <clears throat> and uh, he certainly seems to get away with it. He has this very steely look in his eye, and he knows how to work the crowd. He knows how to work the press. He also knows how to threaten and terrifying. Stalin was very much the same way, you know. Stalin could be very charming. But it would be very it's a very lethal charm. I feel that Putin is the same way. Does he set foot in the Russian Orthodox Church? Sure. Does he control it? Yes. Is the patriarch in his pocket? Oh yes. Remember, Uh, Putin was a member of the nomenklatura. The nomenklatura, the kind of ruling class in Russia, the Communist Party, they weren't really ideologues. They were in it for themselves. That's all they care about, their own personal power. So if Putin is not carrying the red flag with the hammer and sickle on it anymore, it doesn't mean he's not a, a communist but even then, I mean, the the communists don't have to be Marxists; they can just be totalitarians who are looking for an opportunity to gain power. If there's one thing Putin seems to enjoy, it is power over others. So, does he want the Rothschild banks out of Russia? Probably. Why? Well, for the same reason that after the uh, Russian, after the French Revolution began, the uh, the Freemasonic lodges were closed down because as they could be used for the seedbeds of revolution, they could also be used to as seedbeds for anti-revolution, for revolutionaries to conspire against the revolutionaries. <clears throat> this is normal, actually, for uh, revolutionaries to know the dangers that are posed by the revolutionary societies. Do you think that Do you think that uh, Fidel Castro allowed secret societies to flourish under his communist regime in Cuba? No. Now there was going to be no no activity, no revolutionary activity allowed would be contrary to his communist rule there. So they know what they're dealing with. No wonder Putin would want to shut down the Rothschilds. No wonder because again, he wants power, and he's not going to let anybody else challenge that power. No, I don't trust him. He's still very much KGB in his mentality. So, um... No, Russia has not been converted. And even if Putin gets up and starts praising St. Francis, as he has, <clears throat> I don't buy it. Uh, that that piety, that outward dis- out display of piety... Um... I uh, I think it is a pl- uh, basically a tactic, just a tactic. So uh, they they say beware of Greeks bearing gifts. I would definitely say beware of the smile of a former uh, communist uh, secret police enforcer, strongman. And he's smiling at you. Might be licking his lips. Huh? Uh, this one I, I do want to answer, but I can't right now because it would take a little bit more uh, research. And uh, I'll close with this one because it says something nice about one of our fellow priests. Yeah. I'm now traveling three hours one way for the celebration of the true Mass. Father Thomas Morachka is wonderful, However, he does travel farther to celebrate Mass than than I, to hear it, and therefore has limited time after Mass. I am a traditional Catholic that has, until this last year, had the wool pulled over my eyes, believing the Novus Ordo to be the Catholic Church. My wife left nearly five years ago, and I applied for, and after nine months and dollars, was granted an annulment. The Tribunal of the Archdiocese of Dubuque and the Appellate Tribunal of the Archdiocese of Davenport both came to the same conclusion to grant the annulment. I have made decisions based on the belief that I have an annulment and I am now in need of the time of a true priest of the true church to assist me in unwinding the confusion and give spiritual assistance to unravel the bad decisions. Six months after receiving the annulment, I made the first mistake and became engaged. And uh, let's see, I don't want to read too much to give away the identity of this individual. Uh, this was sent as an email to for the program here, though. I don't want to presume. Um, she's not a Catholic. I decided to become a more effective apologist for the faith. That is why I started listening to What Catholics Believe, And uh, I have listened to each episode of What Catholics Believe more than a dozen times each. Wow, that is truly penitential. Uh, That is wonderful. Uh, uh, I'm sure there are many graces that are being given for that. I have the entire last two weeks of the year to myself as vacation. If you have the time, I would sincerely appreciate a long conversation to clear my heart of confusion. Since I would have to drive almost, uh, well, so many hours, I would stay the night and hear Mass in the morning uh, while there. So, this fine individual is uh, thinking about making the drive out here and uh, wants to spend some time, so uh, we'll certainly accommodate that, gladly. So, in any case, uh, so there was no real question uh, posed here for you. So, you're off the hook there. Um, and the other two questions as I say are going to take a little bit of research and there are more questions coming in which I would be happy to uh, address in a timely fashion I uh, thank you for your perseverance here I pray for you I wish you a very blessed Thanksgiving and uh, ask you to pray for me and for all of us involved in what Catholics believe um, and to give us your support, and including financial support if you can, because there are costs involved, and we owe injustice to pay our bills. So if you can help with that, well, thank you, and God bless you for it. So until the next program, I uh, will continue to pray for you, and I, I uh, ask God's blessings on all of you. Take care. Good night.